Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. I'm Jeff Schulman, and I'm the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. And we are uh, building a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. As part of that, we're here every single week uh, bringing you, anybody, anywhere in the world, access to some of the best and brightest minds in product management uh, to make knowledge more accessible and to, to give community and, and opportunities opened up to a broader range of people. And uh, today, I'm super excited about this. Uh, one of our guests has like a PR person, is such a big deal, and uh, suggested a topic that I'm really excited about, which is, does a little OCD go a long way? So that's the question we're going to discuss today. Uh, as it relates to helping everybody succeed in product management, think through whether OCD can be a weakness or a superpower. I've got my thoughts on it, and I'm really excited to hear our guests today. But first, uh, Sumeya is here every single week, and she has an amazing superpower to explain why our topics are relevant to both aspiring product managers and people who have been product managers for decades. So Sumeya, why is our topic of does a little OCD go a long way? Why is this relevant to everyone? I love this topic. It's uh, not one we talk about a lot. Uh, it shows up in other ways, you know, around sometimes. If you're familiar with the Andy Grove book, The Paranoid, Only the Paranoid Survive. I mean, you hear a certain undertones that, that speak of OCD uh, in other contexts as well. Uh, but what I love about this topic is regardless of your experience in product management or even not in product management, this is something you probably think about. Uh, what is the right balance? What does your job need in terms of that obsession and uh, attention to detail and extra something <laughs> uh, that takes you to the next level and ensures both the success of your role and then the the product and the team. So I'm excited to talk about the nuance. You know me, Jeff, whenever we're talking about nuanced things where it's not clearly black or clearly white, I'm excited that we get to talk about different experiences and the shared experiences that can illuminate more of that. So this is a great topic for sure. All right. Thank you, Sumeya. Thanks for joining us every single week. But I guess first, let me introduce our guests uh, so that then we can talk to you about how people can get questions answered by our guests. So Tony, thanks for this topic suggestion. I'd love for you to share a little bit about your journey in product management. Hey, folks. Tony Poon here. Uh, thanks for having me, uh, by the way. Uh, I love joining these conversations. I always learn something. A little bit about my journey. Uh, I'm definitely in one of those camps where you hear often where I'm an accidental product manager. I was a hardware engineer uh, starting my career in semiconductor. You know, I classify as uh, engineers deep in the dungeons uh, in a room without windows. And over time, I started asking the annoying questions of like, why am I building this feature? Turns out in the dungeons world, they don't like you asking those questions. So I got booted for the most part. Uh, but that ultimately started me on a journey of like trying to understand use cases and the why, and then ultimately leads to the who. And over time, I you know started kind of going uh, up the stack, so to speak, uh, from semiconductor into systems, ultimately into software. Done various things over time, both in consumer and enterprise. Uh, most recently, the last two sets of products, I, I was in drones, uh, autonomous flying robots. Uh, I'm a super nerd, so I couldn't say no to flying robots. All right, Tony, thank you for that uh, introduction, and uh, thank you for being here today. Uh, Swapna, thanks for being a part of this conversation. Tell us a little bit about your journey. In for sure. Um, 
I lead enterprise search experiences at Microsoft as of today. It's a very different from space than whatever I have solved for and uh, productized in my past 13 years of uh, software and product experience, product management experience. I have led Samsung partnership for OneDrive Photos uh, just to provide that tangible value to users from their photos, videos, content. And Previously to that, uh, previously to Microsoft, I was in this fintech innovation space. So trying to understand the different trends happening in the industry around payments, innovation, uh, biometric authentication and uh, wireless payments, etc. And that was a completely wild journey for me. And yeah, I have uh, have had this traditional transition to product management slowly understood that I, I don't want to sit in front of the computer. I don't want to keep on writing code upon code or test and launch. I want to understand why are my clients providing us these vague requirements and then we are translating those into technical specifications. So that sort of made me want to pay attention to the business side of things. And uh, sort of serendipitously, I landed a product role in the e-commerce space. And that's been uh, my product journey so far. And first of all, yes, thank you for inviting me to this amazing discussion. I think Soumya mentioned this little OCD. I think the emphasis is on the little. Uh, very, it's a very interesting topic, which I'm passionate about to passionate to talk about. All right, thank you, Swapna and Tony, for being here. I am so excited to talk about. Uh, does a little OCD go a long way? Is it a superpower or is it a weakness? And red. People can get involved in today's conversation. Please tell them about yourself, why you're here, and how. They can get involved. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, my name is Red. Uh, the way I'm involved is as I was in the process of having my third baby under six, uh, Jeff decided it would make a lot of sense for me to join as an advisory board member for the Product Management Center at University of Washington. And honestly, as I joke about the idea of the timing, I couldn't say no because I spent the last decade helping product managers discover not to be afraid of asking that question that Tony asked in the dungeon, to feel empowered. And for those who didn't even make it into product management, I really wanted to make it easier for them to feel like there was someone cheering them on, making that door much more accessible. So it was very hard for me to say no, even if I had my hands full. It's not what I do, Jeff. You know, I don't get overwhelmed. I love challenges. And uh, over a year and a half later, it feels like, we started this uh, clubhouse and now podcast so that others can not only listen tonight, here live, but continuously throughout. So if you're interested in learning more about what it is we're doing, you have to find yourself into one of two situations. Uh, number one, you can find yourself into our Slack channel group. That's right, we have a Slack group for product managers. It is not biased towards any goals that are self-serving. We're here to serve you, so no recruiters. Don't worry about being pitched. Just ping us. You can DM me, Sumeya, Jeff, if you are interested, you know, send a fax, a pigeon, a stone's throw away. Uh, just say, hey, Red, what's up? I want to join the community. And obviously, later tonight, in about 10 or 15 minutes, as we get deeper into the topic of OCD, then we're going to start to open up for questions, for Q&A. So if you look on your clubhouse, and this is a live chat, you can see that chat bubble. I'm already seeing some activity there, Jeff. Feel free to get in, ask your questions. And uh, you know what? Raise your hand if you want to get on stage. We'll let you know when it's time. But for right now, if you're someone who's interested in giving back to the product management community or you're someone who needs help getting into the product management community, well, look no further. We're here to serve you, starting with our OCD. All right. Raise your hand, throw your questions into chat, and Red is going to take over this conversation in about 20 minutes. But first, let's start with Swapna. What do you think? Is OCD a superpower or a curse for product managers? And explain your thinking. I remember I did a talk uh, many years back around just product management in general, and I had this sentence there, or I, I said something around product managers having needing to have personalities or some kind of uh, behavior which allows them to dig deeper into the problem that they are trying to solve, uh, having that innate curiosity to be able to create value for their customers. So. I think irrespective of OCD, I think product managers need to have that little bit of craziness, little amount of craziness in order to take their game to the next level. And when we talk about obsessive compulsion, it's a boon. Sometimes it can be an impediment in disguise as well. But at the same time, great products, uh, problem spaces have been solved for when we have these obsessive compulsive 
uh, product managers or CEOs, uh, founders. You have companies such as Apple, Tesla, and Amazon who work on the principle of being obsessive compulsive about their product experiences, design, and customer obsession, right? And then the word compulsive, obsessive compulsive also has this tinge of negative connotation to it because in medical terms, yes, it, it, there is a disorder associated with that behavior. But in the case of product management, it's such a peculiar field, right, of trying to find the right problem to solve, ideation, planning, execution, launching, and a myriad other problems in between, all baked into one role of a product manager, having some amount of craziness, some amount of obsessive compulsion can actually be an asset. Uh, it can serve you well. Uh, but obviously, there are a couple of downsides as well. We can discuss about it in the next hour. Uh, but yeah, that is my initial thought process for OCD for, for product managers. Thank you, Swapna. Appreciate it. Uh, Tony, I think you are the one who proposed <laughs> this. And I think I know your answer, but I'd love to hear the, what your answer is and why. I have to say, it is one of the first, uh, actually the only moment where I, I get to be proud that, like, you know, I'm obsessively compulsive. Uh, you know, I, I think the OCD or whatever, we, however we want to describe it, it, it there, there's a secondary context to it uh, in my mind. Uh, and the most useful thing that I've seen in personal experience with is obsessive about being curious. Like, obsessively curious is to me one of the superpowers of really great product managers. Because, you know, I, I think Swana talked about it, which is we are really tasked with finding the right whys. And a lot of times it takes a lot for us to fight through the words and the things that people say on the surface in order to get to the root of what the real problems and potential pain points to solve are. Uh, it, it takes a certain type of personality and endurance and compulsiveness uh, to dig deep enough for you to uncover the root why. So to me, that's what I really, really mean when it comes to, it's actually in the context of being curious, very, very helpful for a product person to be obsessively and compulsively curious so you can get to a place where you can enumerate with the team that we have found the right problem. Now let's begin on doing the work on solving with whatever creativity we can bring forth to the table. All right, Sumay, I could predict your answer. I'm going to start with it with, it depends. <laughs> but, I imagine, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. I imagine that's your uh, typical <laughs> product management answer. I want to rebrand the OCD term into first principles thinking. You know, there is something that OCD has in it that for, uh, first principles doesn't. I agree that first principles thinking is so important. It unlocks creativity. It allows people to, you know, think beyond the bias that they have. It is something that every product manager must have. Um, for example, um, if, the, if the team was to work through the definition of a problem and a possible solution, and then you keep stopping and restarting around the same solution that the team has hypothesized on, I can imagine how that can be wasteful in more of a paralysis situation. However, as the team learns more, and they keep asking why, why are we seeing these kinds of results? Why are we seeing these behaviors? That's where I, I think uh, that can be very helpful. So when I saw the topic, my mind goes to like an attention to detail that feels like it would stifle your team and, and make it difficult for you to delegate and to bring in other perspectives. So Swapna, do you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, so I think one thing, the byproduct of being obsessive compulsive is being detail oriented, even though, yes, there might be some nuances to it, depending on, uh, you know, how you work as a product manager, what your role is uh, in, in your team uh, as, a, as a product lead. Detail, being detail oriented is great, but then there are different scenarios, there are different contexts, right? If you are building a product in a completely vague space, for example, you're just starting or trying to understand the product market fit. Obviously, you need to analyze the situation. You need to analyze your problem space and be thorough with your research. But at the same time, you cannot get so detail-oriented that you spend one year to uh, even uh, launch the MVP of your product or of your uh, whatever feature or experience. Because uh, in a scenario where you're trying to find the product market fit, it's better to fail fast and understand what's working, what's not working, rather than spend 
ages to uh, create the most perfect experience. There is this one scenario which I can think of where being detail-oriented or being obsessive-compulsive might not help. I think in this scenario, being obsessive-compulsive to be able to fail fast and understand, learn from your mistakes and pivot your strategy to the next space is uh, more helpful. And also, I think in a consultancy, right, when you're creating products uh, or you have had success in creating similar types of products for uh, different users or different clients or different customers, you know what has worked previously, what has not worked previously. You don't have to reinvent the wheel for the next set of customers, right? You can, you, you already have sort of a uh, your product is already automated. You can convert it into a platform as a service uh, or something along those lines rather than you being so obsessive about reinventing the wheel and solving the problem again and again for new set of sets of customers. But again, I'm sure there are uh, different, it depends from context to context, uh, different situations require a different kind of mindset as well. <laughs> I would say again, it uh, it depends. And, and Tony, do you have any instances where and an attention to detail or an obsession over details has been holding you back or have you seen it hold others back? Oh man, almost every day. The question is, do you recognize it fast enough to stop? <laughs> but I think some tangible examples from you know myself and product teams that I've observed, frequent example is when you're looking at large swaths of data or metrics. And you know, I'm sure you know everybody who's been in and around metrics and trying to get insights out of it find themselves sometimes drilling in, and then you know two days later you realize, oh well, that didn't really get on topic. So like you know, when whenever we see large swat of data, you know, product managers being obsessive around data, typically gets really really happy and really excited and start really diving in. And however, sometimes get lost on the context of what is the insight that we're trying to seek before, you know, opening up the set of data. And then ultimately, the data led the exercise rather than the question that they were trying to answer. And that's really where the, you know, obsession around data really leads you down not a very happy path. And you end up finding that you might not have spent, uh, you know, the right amount of time answering and achieving the outcome that you need. You learn a lot about a lot of tangential things. You might even uncover uh, something unexpected, but uh, it was not the outcome that you were seeking. And Sumeya, we're going to get into kind of solutions about reining in an attention to detail or an obsession over details. Uh, but first, have you found any places in particular where an attention to detail or an obsession over things can get in the way at different stages in the product development process? You know, the one I have experienced and where I failed personally multiple times <laughs> is in early days of product development. So I want to, especially when we're making big bets, I want to do my research. I want to talk to potential customers. I want to design small experiments. But in general, I feel that when I look at it in retrospect, I take longer than I need to, to, to make the decision to kill it or to continue. For example, you know, one of the startups I worked with early on where I was a co-founder, we were working on a financial app and instead of having a prototype of it in the market, because we had everything ready, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about data privacy, compliance, all things that competitors in the market at that exact time were not paying as much attention to and they were okay with with the level of security that we had uh, initially. So there, there are certain things that, you know, I felt like I spent too much time on, but the learning wasn't important there. Uh, as in our hypothesis around the product, the differentiator was not data privacy or compliance. It was other aspects. And those are the, the aspects that I needed to spend more time on rather than the secondary ones, which are important, but they're not really where the learning needed to happen or the validation needed to happen. So I would say the lesson learned there was it makes sense to pay attention to some things, but not everything. And what I would go back to is ask myself the question, what am I trying to learn? 
What am I trying to move forward on? Where is this decision point? And be very clear on that. And then anything else beyond that is probably uh, not important. So I'm finding this super interesting that it, it feels like most of you are thinking of the application within this discovery phase and within the data analytics phase of improving the product and not so much in the solutioning phase where you're thinking about, you know, what does the solution to the customer problem and the business objectives look like? Who's going to get it done and and when and how? So first, I guess it's a two-part question and I'll let anybody pop off mute to this answer, but why are you thinking it more in this kind of discovery and data analysis phase and not so much on this other part. And then is it a problem where I'm thinking it might be in terms of in the solutioning and the execution part of it? I just want to make a quick comment, Jeff. I think for successful products and thriving products, that we're always in discovery. It's like the dichotomy of discovery versus solutioning is not a real thing when the product is, you know, thriving and is is successful. But yeah, I, I just wanted to put that disclaimer there because I'm sure you you didn't mean to say it's either or, but I, I'm curious, Swap, now what your thoughts are. Yeah, very, very interesting. And I didn't even realize that I was also talking about being obsessive compulsive in the first phases of product development, but it depends on what you want to optimize for, right? Are you up? trying to optimize for quality of a product or trying to optimize for timing? Do you want the product to go out on time, uh, meet those deadlines? Or do you want to create an exceptionally amazing product before you roll it out? That OCD can definitely play out in different parts of the product development process. But again, I, I think my answer is, again, depends, right? If you are already in that product development process or in the sort of the end stages, it depends on what your end objective is. Do you want to be the first in the market to do something? And in that case, it might mean that you might not have a picture perfect product to roll out or you really want to take your time, especially if you have the time, if you have the luxury of spending time on a uh, on a product, uh, the investment, the resources and your product is prioritized in your org or in your company. I think it definitely makes sense to spend more time on that, but I'll let others chime in. I agree with the context for sure. I think in my mind, the way I've seen it is like the context are between like two major categories. Like, do we have a decision to make or is there an experience we're trying to deliver? Both cases, we, you know, ultimately is like, what what is the signal to noise ratio we want to achieve? And like obsessiveness kind of help you amplify the signal to noise ratio. And I talk a little bit more about or the part, which is like, how do we make decisions, which is reducing the number of noises and, and reducing the data set so that you can make a proper decision. But I, I definitely have similar experiences in failures as well. In the later part of the development cycle, where you're trying to deliver to an outcome where a use case or uh, an experience that is trying to achieve, there you have a much clearer picture of what you're trying to get to. And the trade-off there on like compulsion is what is good enough and whether or not you have to find clear enough the experiential goal and whether or not you have to surpass it. And the challenge that I, I have seen and personally have probably made mistakes around were trying to perfect too many things. And that was really where the obsession comes from is we want to be perfect in everything. Whereas in, if you superimpose that onto the actual outcome you're trying to achieve, the impact of many of uh, the other things you feel need to be perfect actually became ancillary. So I, I guess in summary, every part of the process can have signal to, to noise racial problem in amplification. I have personally experienced a lot more in because of just the large swat of data that you have to fight through in order to make a high quality decision and earlier part of like, what is it that we build? What problems we want to go solve for? And who's the right audience? And what is MVP? versus the later part where you're trying to lock into exactly what is the experience where the data set is a little bit less your your decision is much more focused on what is the right level and does it actually meet the goal that we actually set forth initially so uh, i guess that's kind of how i i think and one more point if i, if I may add 
when you are in the later stages of your product and you're so obsessive, compulsive about the problem you're trying to solve for, the solution you're trying to deliver, if you don't look beyond your periphery or beyond your blinders, there might be market forces, uh, other conditions, microeconomic conditions that might have already affected your problem space. And that narrow outlook doesn't really work. So maybe in the later parts of the product development process, you also need to be a little aware of your surroundings and what's happening in the market, in the industry, in order to make the right decision at that point in time. All right. Thanks for that extra context. And now, Red, are you here to do the next thing that we do? Wow. Sumaya, you know what he just did? He avoided saying ready. What yes. a... Unbelievable. Uh, waiting. It went. I, I left it hanging there, and then made it a, an awkward pivot there. I didn't want to go with the, the standard joke. Um, oh well, it's okay. Mixing it up is great. Well, for one, uh, this is the time we talked about. Please, if you have a question, there's a chat bubble on the bottom left hand of the screen. This is your time to ask questions. So I'll even write it in. Time to ask questions, and you can also raise your hand using the same Clubhouse app. If you DM me on LinkedIn while listening to this episode, it might be a little after the fact, but you can join our Slack group anyway and try to ask Tony or Swapna then. Um, but for those who are here tonight, this is the opportunity. In addition, uh, I'm going to be bringing up some folks onto the stage. Also, uh, I just want to highlight some feedback that I was getting privately. So for one, when we reference OCD in the context of tonight's conversation, uh, we are using it loosely as a term for really about diving deep and compulsively and focusing, uh, but we are not in any way trying to take away from the disorder whatsoever. This isn't so much of my statement as a disclaimer, but usually when you talk about um, inclusivity and jobs and the job market like we're doing for product managers, interestingly enough, Jeff, and I've looked into this only by the power of Google, we do not see product managers historically as one of the roles that people with the actual OCD disorder go into. You know, editor, proofreader, uh, someone in the military, photographer, uh, you know, someone who's a social media consultant, a web developer. I'm looking through all these titles and I'm starting to say this feels a little, I'm curious, why am I not saying product manager? You know, so uh, I'm ultimately trying to tie back to the idea of, you know, yes, we're using the term loosely, but I am curious as we, before we get into Q&A, Sumaya, I saw you come off mute. Have you ever encountered a product manager that truly did have OCD? Well, I do have a hypothesis for why not. <laughs> and my hypothesis is as clean as we might make it seem in terms of like the daily activities we do in terms of predictability. It is actually a very messy also role. Uh, a lot of things come up if you are a product manager who has a live product paying attention to what's going on operationally, a lot of things come up. And a lot of the software products that are used by consumers have a very short uh, feedback loop. Your situation can change week to week, uh, month to month. Uh, and, and I think that can be a little too taxing for certain people. That's, that's a very helpful insight. And I think it is consistent. Some of the ones that they're recommending that might not be the best for OCD, uh, interestingly enough, are childcare providers or nurse or care providers. And when you think about product as we're trying to be the provider for our customers, and it requires a lot of EQ as well as being in a position where you, you allow for that flexibility, uh, I don't know if that flexibility is one that t tends to take advantage of the skills that might be for someone who has OCD. So uh, definitely helpful. Tony, I see you came off mute as well. Yeah, I think it's I'm not an expert in that, and I don't actually think about it in that context. I think it's what a person enjoys. I think as a product person, I often, you know, some people ask me, how would you describe the role of product person? And the way, the best way I can come up with is sometimes you're called a CEO of the product. Sometimes you're called a janitor of the product. And the truth is somewhere in between. Uh, and it's, it's really a descriptor of, it's really chaotic. You can't really predict uh, what you're going to do today versus tomorrow. And I, I think it's really just a matter of, the personality, whether or not they enjoy bringing order to the chaos and the unpredictability of it. I appreciate not only the flexibility in describing this, but for those who are listening to this in the future, uh, definitely a helpful context. With that in mind, anyone and everyone who knows me, I always like to uh, make sure that we provide time for those who have questions. Uh, so while I'd love to ask more about the topic, as I'm personally curious, this isn't about me today. Raul, 
My friend, it's excited to see you back on the show. I'm excited. I know everyone else who's also here probably is excited. What do you got for us today? What kind of treat do you have for us, my friend? It's great to hear uh, everyone's voice. This is great that, that we're all back online. Thanks for, for inviting me up. This is awesome. Um, just, just one quick question, and then I'll, I'll go back on mute for Swapna, Tony, or, or just the everyone here is, how do you, as an employee or uh, maybe a junior product manager or senior product manager, try to navigate and work with um, a senior or leader who maybe has some of these characteristics of, of OC that you're describing? I think we've described a bunch of characteristics, and, and I love that we're describing it. How do um, people who maybe are very different uh, work with people who are leaders or managers or or lead PMs uh, who maybe have some of these characteristics? I I guess that's like the very high level. And, you know, seeing that you have you're already at at such a high level, uh, maybe you've worked or seen these types of roles and and people that you've worked with. Swapna, I see you came off mute. Please uh, weigh in. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, great question. And uh, I think very close to heart as well, because as an employee, you have so many different kinds of product leaders, product managers, uh, uh, sort of people managers who you work with, even stakeholders who might be obsessive compulsive. And I think it boils down to trust. I think that's what that's the word that came to my mind as you were asking this question. I was like, you know, the amount of times I have uh, dealt with conflicting personalities. It's not as if the, their personality was good or bad. It was just conflicting with mine. Or the environment was such that we had to have those hard conversations. I think building that level of trust uh, eased the sort of paranoia or uh, obsessive compulsion to a moderate level. And obviously building trust with your stakeholders or with your upper management takes a lot of time and it, it takes a lot of effort from your side in order to prove yourself. Right. Uh, But I think that is one of the things which you can do or we should be doing as uh, product managers to uh, whenever we come across upper management or whoever stakeholders who are a little uh, obsessive compulsive. And I think it's also a learning process because they might help you catch uh, mistakes or edge cases which you are not thinking about or they might help you look into uh, a different aspect of the problem space as well. Right. So it's always a learning opportunity. But then. I think trust is that word that comes to my mind. Awesome. Uh, Tony, I saw you come off mute as well. Please weigh in on the buffet. Yeah, I, I just just to, I, I love the, the trust. I completely and wholeheartedly agree with that. I guess I can offer maybe a bit of a tactical uh, aspect of an answer. I think like coming from a person who oftentimes can be obsessive about a certain aspect, it could be experience, it could be uh, UX, it could be you know time, it could be performance. Um, sometimes executives or, you know, anybody can like take a battle and stand on a hill and say, I, I will, I must have this. Um, and oftentimes it becomes very passionate driven conversation. It's hard to untangle. And I've been on both sides of that. Um, I, I think ultimately it's about balance and the balance here is for the most part time versus outcome. So it isn't a matter of being resistive to try to achieve perfection or that whatever ultimate goal from that obsession is, is really about what don't we want to do in context of chasing after this obsession. So, uh, you know, oftentimes I have used it or you people have used it on me is, well, here are the other things that we feel are also important that are being worked on. How much time do we want to dedicate to this? So it's it's really about time boxing and, and try to achieve an acceptable outcome with an agreed upon a, a amount of either time or resource or effort or attention. It can, that ultimately is how how you you know can unlock in a meaningful and tangible way forward and still maintain what is the outcome of you know of the it's interesting you threw out this concept of time boxing there are people who are maniacal like obsessed with protecting their calendar and their space and time boxing is an example at least tony if i'm inter- interpreting this correctly is protecting your time at work and from others from activities from even yourself is it correct to at least assume that's your definition? Because for those who might not be familiar, I wanted to expand on that. For, just so for you know. sure. It, it's, it's setting boundaries, ultimately. Sometimes it could be time. Sometimes it could be attention. Sometimes it's, it could be you know scope of the project. But just giving some aligned boundary so that you can balance what are the other outcomes that are also important is, is like a good way to uh, you know depersonalize and also defuse 
With that in mind, then, as everyone has their own methods, their practices, their tactics, their strategies, Jeff, as I'm waiting for another question, I want to throw maybe a little controversy up in the room, but I don't think this is the kind of controversy that has the speakers potentially disagreeing, but more critically asking themselves um, (laughs) if they actually trust what they're about to say. So disclaimer here for a minute, folks, this is not a question that is regularly discussed on our show. We talked about OCD as one example of just how long could it go to help you in your own career? But now we're actually going deeper into the idea of uh, the question, what if I actually run into someone that has OCD? Or as I expand on this, maybe someone who's on the spectrum, who's a manager. In the workplace, especially due to COVID, we've seen mental stability have a lot of incredible impacts, both for the good and the bad on people's mental states. And I think a lot of people are always curious, like how do I navigate that? How do I best proactively prepare for working with people like that? So my question to you, and Jeff, you can feel free to either wrangle this one in or expand, is if if you're a product manager or planning on becoming one in this day and age, post-COVID era, what are some of those tendencies in the workplace that you should be very mindful of and careful of and proactive to seek out and be prepared for? So it's very important that obviously we're pragmatic when we're talking about this. But I want someone who's about to join the space to know what is in store for them and how to be ready to face some of these situations, especially when it comes to mental stability of someone who's your superior. Who would like to be the first to take a crack at this one? I'm just going to talk about my experience uh, in working specifically with people who are neurodivergent. People are more comfortable now talking about um, their needs. And so, I, you know, a couple of ways. One, I make myself open uh, and I share with the team if I have challenges uh, or specific ways I would like to be communicated to. And, I, and that allows the rest of the team to also do the same. So, you know, personal user manuals where everyone on the team talks about the best way to communicate with them and uh, the, the best way to share information with them, whether through illustrations or through a written documents or through, uh, you know, meetings. All these are the the sticking areas where, in my experience, I've seen us either being able to retain and create a, a welcoming environment for people who are neurodivergent versus the, those who are not. And then the second thing uh, beyond, uh, you know, the communication piece uh, is allowing for certain interactions to happen and knowing that they need to be addressed with empathy. So, for example, I've seen this happen where uh, someone is uh, distracted by something happening in their background with, let's say, a a child or someone else in their space, uh, and then how they show up with the rest of the team might not meet expectations from the rest of the team. So how do we address that if it's a systematic thing versus, you know, a one-off? That that's a very specific example. It has happened recently. Uh, so that, that came to mind. But what I wanted to say, address it with empathy uh, and making sure that we create a, a space for everyone where they feel like they belong and we can, we can welcome them however they come. Wow, Sumeya, I, I would say that is a, an incredible insight to pick up and, and swap. Now, before you jump in, I just want to Maybe dig on one thing here, Samaya, which is if you're considering neurodivergence and there is a behavior that maybe if you're comfortable sharing, is there a neurodivergent behavior that you could consider a superpower as a PM? Like today we're discussing whether obsessive compulsion could be that superpower and that strength within the scope uh, of neurodivergence, which includes a lot of other behaviors like autism and ADHD, et cetera. Have you identified in, you know, COVID giving you any types of superpowers, so be it, or seen maybe in any of your colleagues? Yeah, the the one I, I want to bring up because I've witnessed it again and again is their ability to process a lot of information coming at them in a very, you know, like they have pattern recognition down to a science. Uh, at least the, I'm thinking of a couple of people. Um, they have other things that they do really well. 
above, I would say, average. But that one, pattern recognition, is a is a really good one. Awesome. Thank you. And Swapna, I saw you come off mute. Please don't let me take what, what you were going to say. Yeah, so I, as an individual or as an employee in an org, maybe as a people manager or not, you need to be open to feedback, right? Whether that feedback is coming from your peers, from your upper management or your teammates, I think it's uh, that can hopefully normalize or if you have those tendencies or if your teammates have those tendencies, that feedback can be helpful for that individual to act upon, I guess. So that is one. And then as a, as a maybe as a new product manager or as, or as a new employee at a company, just managing expectations. And there is a whole other, um, you know, we can have a, a huge discussion about just about managing expectations, how to do it, what are the different ways to do it. But managing expectations with your manager, uh, as well as your teammates, I think that can help you be in a better state uh, in, in your in your work life. So yeah, those those points come to my mind, I guess, um, especially for new product managers when they join a team and uh, and you have uh, the super smart uh, but then slightly obsessed uh, product leaders around them as well. So would w- would it help Swapna if, if, for example, you had a product manager you saw tendencies but they were being very reserved? Would it actually help in the world of radical candor for you to share something personal or something very specific that you have that is your power because of X or Y or Z to encourage that behavior? Or is there another framework you would use to make them feel comfortable, hopefully allow them an environment where they can be comfortable uh, communicating that to you? Yeah, I think you also like just in terms of uh, in, in the case of relationships, whether they are personal relationships or professional relationships, you need to have that certain level of vulnerability uh, just so that you can bring your authentic self to work and you can empower your teammates to do that as well. Um, Whether that's sharing a personal story or sharing some context or, you know, uh, making that personal interpersonal connection. I think that can be a way for you to uh, make your team member feel, um, uh, I guess, empowered or comfortable in sharing their feedback or in sharing their um, challenges, uh, whatever whatever those are. Vulnerability is something that I believe uh, opens a lot of doors. Um, and even in this case, um, it, it can help uh, bring your team members be more comfortable. Awesome. Thank you, Swapna. And for those who are unfamiliar with Radical Candor, I uh, highly recommend the book. I believe Kim Scott revolutionized really the communication uh, between uh, manager and uh, team player in terms of how to effectively help them be the best version of themselves. Uh, Tony, rounding this one out, my friend, uh, <laughs> where where's your head in this game? And maybe you are the superpower. Please, uh, maybe I am that. Well, I don't know. I uh, I agree with everything uh, everybody said about creating space. Um, you know, being empathetic. I, I think ultimately, though you know, it is up to the person to open up and it is their choice and we're there to observe and there to be, to be ready for them to do so. Uh, And we we should do everything we can to to create an environment. Uh, But that's unpredictable. In the meantime, we have progress, uh, we have products to build, we have customer to serve, we have value to create. I think oftentimes, ultimately, you know, every organization uh, will have their way of measuring success could be KPI, it could be, you know, OKR, it could be just project goals. And I think, you know, bringing it back and depersonalize it back to what is the goal that we're trying to achieve and how are we going to achieve goal if we're going to be myopically focusing on one thing and what are we not doing anywhere else? I think anytime there's an opportunity to like, you know, bring that to bear and seek guidance on how should I think about delivering to the outcome that I'm being tasked by you for me to achieve? How should I think about that? Like, turn it around, seek guidance on, I understand uh, the level of depth and detail that I'm being requested to mimic. At the same time, my concern is these are the other things I might not be able to get to. Help me with how to understand about thinking about my time, my attention. So turn it around and become collaborative so that you know, in my mind, that that helps bring forth recognition that in a depersonalized way that there could potentially be a problem here on time management. And then on the other side, enlist, uh, you know, the other side as a person 
to both recognize that there could potentially be an issue, but also be part of the solution to helping you. Because ultimately, uh, if this person is a leader, particularly if it's your leader, they are just you know vested in helping you succeed uh, in whatever they have assigned you to uh, complete, as they are in whatever their missions are in being obsessive around being able to to dive really deeply into. So uh, you know, I, I guess in summary, it's you know recognize and retarget. <laughs> Uh, so that the retargeting becomes a collaborative work so that it's both from both sides with a common goal uh, in mind that's agreed upon. Unbelievable. Well, I know I'm probably not neurodivergent because Sumeya, I am trouble when it comes to processing all this incredible information. I am just failing to just soak it all up because there's so much. I've started taking notes over here. But uh, Tony, Swapna, Sumeya, if there's one takeaway, whether we're talking about obsessive behavior uh, or anything that might go under the neurodivergent umbrella, right? If you're NPD, ADHD, bipolar, autism, and OCD, whatever it might be, if we can make it easier for you to feel welcome, to feel empowered, and ultimately to belong in the product management community, you've now heard from the voices of those that you may one day end up working with, working for, or hopefully you're going to be repeating their behavior to others. So my hope is that the workplace becomes easier and better for people who are like product managers and for those we have to collaborate with as product managers. And I feel very confident if you're a sampling of who's in the workplace, then sign me up because PMs are in good hands, my friend. Sign me up. That's awesome. So Jeff, back to you, my friend. I'm going to go take a nap. (laughs) All right, Red. It's so good to have you back. Thanks for leading a valuable discussion. It's time to wrap things up. I want to get concluding thoughts. Let's see. Uh, Tony, let's have you uh, concluding thoughts. Anything you want to leave the listener with? Since I was the one who teed up at least a a branch of this conversation, I, I find this topic incredibly interesting because I find myself uh, in time, uh, every now and then being in that train of thought and going really deeply and magical things happen and you learn some insight that you never thought you would. So I, I you know, I, I guess it's not something to be fearful for. It's, it's something to recognize and apply when, in, in the appropriate context, but also manage in other contexts. So I, I guess yeah, it, it's not a bad thing at all. It is a matter of understanding when is the right place in time and when is it that it's something that we want to manage so that we can achieve goals. All right, Tony, thank you so much for being here today and teeing up this conversation. Uh, Sumeya, any bullet points, concluding thoughts you want to leave the audience with? First of all, I think first principles thinking is something that or is a muscle that uh, OPMs probably know is important, but if you're starting out and you're trying to practice it more, uh, there are a couple of things. Um, there is this this tool or this uh, exercise you can do with your team called the five whys. Even in Miro, there are templates for it. Uh, but beyond that, uh, usually it's a combination of tools and just mindset and you persisting in that kind of thinking. Beyond that, it's, you know, talking to other PMs, thinking about uh, what are some of the success stories uh, for some startups? How did they start from an assumption that ran counter to, let's say, uh, common wisdom or popular beliefs at the time. So those are all opportunities for all of us to learn from and to remind us uh, about the power of first principles thinking. And then the last point is this thing of determining whether something is a signal or noise. The more you spend time thinking about that, the more opportunities you expose yourself to thinking uh, and analyzing whether a data point is actually meaningful or not, uh, the better you get at it over time. So in conclusion, I just wanted to say there are lots of things we talked about here today, but there are little things you can do every day to get better at it. All right. Thank you, Samaya. It's great to be back here with you after a week off. Uh, thanks for great insights and discussion. Swapna, uh, any concluding thoughts? Yeah. Um, so I love the art of product management. Um, and in order to be a great product leader, you need to invest in your art again and again. You need to hone your art. 
and uh, being obsessive compulsive makes a ton of sense in that regard you you as i said earlier you need to uh, be a curious you need to be innately curious actually to in order to become a, a great product manager um and being obsessive compulsive also means that you are asking the question why as somia was talking about multiple times right you're asking why multiple times and it might mean that you pivot your strategy a number of times but then you end up solving the right problem which is what we want to do uh, at the end of the day as product leaders or product managers so that is my final thought uh, being obsessive compulsive is amazing uh, for you as a product manager you need to be innately curious uh, but at the same time uh, be compulsive also about uh changing your opportunity your strategy whenever the need arises so um i guess it's a balancing act all right thank you swapna thank you tony i just want to read a comment here from uh that was written in chat uh another thought this is from steven last name uh preserved for anonymity another thought on managing supervisors with ocd it's necessary to first understand what is underlying the ocd behaviors meaning uh why they behave like that so i think again this is taking ocd perhaps more loosely than the, the medical diagnosis but just understanding the root cause um, and then thinking through how uh, to address that root cause or to channel that uh, to better outcomes uh, is what I believe is what's being said there. All right. Those are our concluding thoughts from Swapna and Tony and Sumeya. Thank you so much for being here. My concluding thoughts are, Red, it is so good to have you back. I appreciate you uh, continually pushing for a more welcoming and inclusive product management community. Uh, as has been said on this podcast several times and today, uh, product management is not for everyone. Uh, but uh, that's more based off of what you enjoy doing and and the sacrifices you're willing to make uh, to to develop uh, better solutions for customers and uh, drive business objectives forward. And uh, Red's been working on that. Sumeya has been working on that. And the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington uh, is is working to to create more room in product management for those willing to put in the hard work and uh, to fight for their customers and to to push their businesses forward. Uh, so a couple things we have going. We're here every single week here on Clubhouse. We are soon gearing up to accept applications for the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. Uh, the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator is a program that is intended to broaden access to economic opportunity, uh, aiming to empower professionals from historically marginalized communities to land their first product management role. So if you are an aspiring product manager, who is authorized to, to work in the United States uh, because the outcome is employment uh, and our connections are here in the United States. Uh, so we are focusing on where we could uh, produce those outcomes. So, uh, and we hope to broaden that over time. I'm, I'm rambling. But anyway, if you are authorized to work in the United States, you are a professional with at least three years of work experience, you know for a fact that you want to be a product manager and you have been hustling and working hard to try to make that happen and you have a demonstrated commitment uh, championing uh, inclusion, then we want you to apply. Uh, so August 7th is when applications go live. Uh, you could Google the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator and uh, follow the Product Management Center on LinkedIn to find out info on the upcoming information session. And uh, yeah, we want to get you into this program. We want to help you uh, uh, do what we can. We want to give you the uh, connections, the opportunity, and a community of support so that you can be successful in product management. So uh, it's a very selective program, but I hope you'll consider applying to the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. And to everybody else, thanks for listening to that really long speech there. And we will see you next week here on how to succeed in product management. <laughs>